0: Hey family, it's Natalie Valle and this is Practical Alchemy, the podcast. I am a multidisciplinary healer and practitioner here to empower you with insightful, powerful, and heart-centered conversations. Our goal here at Practical Alchemy is to share stories, tools, and modalities from experts, teachers, mentors, and friends to help alchemize your life and to remind you that you're always on your journey to evolution and you're not alone in it. We'll dive into topics ranging from wellness, healing, spirituality, dharma, relationships, manifestation, and so much more thank you for being a part of this beautiful supportive community i can't wait to connect with you in real life at events retreats trainings courses thanks for being here and enjoy the show Right. Welcome back, Practical Alchemy listeners. I am sitting down virtually today with Meredith Baker, who I met back in 2020 during a cohort that we were in together. And Meredith is just incredible. I mean, the power of social media. I've been able to keep tabs on all the work she's been doing and Meredith is an incredible leadership coach, facilitator, and speaker in the personal development space. She is also probably one of the smartest people I know holding degrees from both Harvard and Oxford. She is a 500-hour yoga teacher training and has a background as an international journalist and is also a beverage founder. No big deal, founded her own company on top of all that. And in addition to being an executive coach, she is the co-founder of an LA-based experience company called More of That and speaks on various topics for startups and corporations. And I'm just so excited to have her in today. So thank you, Meredith, for carving out the time and chatting with me today.
1: Thank you, Natalie. I'm so excited to be here. And it's as I mentioned to you before, um, the name Practical Alchemy really is so special to me because the first coaching program that I was ever in was called The Alchemist Journey with my old executive coach, Victoria Song. And then last year I wrote a song called the um, called Alchemy with my friend, which, um, yeah, so it has a very special meaning to me of like being able to transform things and transform self litting limiting beliefs and transform us into versions of ourselves we couldn't previously see. So I love that you call it practical alchemy and like making making alchemy feel accessible to all.
0: Mm, thanks for sharing. I, I love all the synchronicities. I feel like in our line of work and our community, synchronicities are always so present. And so I love full circle moments like that. And Yeah, we were chatting about it before we recorded how alchemy is present in our lives every single day. Every day we have the opportunity to alchemize, whether it's an experience, an emotion. And like I know that you work a lot with limiting beliefs, limiting beliefs, so many things that are alchemized every day. And it can be so practical. You know, alchemy can also be very magical, but it can also be very practical. And with that, I would love to start by having you walk us through your journey. I mean, your background is so impressive, and I love it because you're also such just like a real down-to-earth human being. And then meanwhile, behind the scenes, you're also this like incredibly talented, super smart individual. And yeah, I know that you did your undergrad at Harvard, you also went to Oxford, and then eventually you did 500 hours of yoga teacher training and coaching. So walk us through kind of what that journey was like and what led you to do what you do today.
1: Absolutely. So one of my favorite quotes that I like to think of in this winding journey is retrospective vision is always 2020. And even though these seem like very different things, um, they all connect the dots. Uh, When you look back Uh, or when I look back, it's easy to see how they were all stepping stones to getting me to where I am today with the exact toolkit I have today Mm. to serve exactly who i meant to serve. And my journey began, yeah, I got into Harvard and I got into Harvard because I was kind of an entrepreneur in high school. So I wrote my local TV and newspaper and asked them if I could be their team correspondent. And so I spent my afternoons, leaving school early so I could intern at the Houston Chronicle and at the Houston CBS. And so when I applied to Harvard, I didn't have the highest GPA. I hadn't taken the most AP classes, but I had been really proactive in seeking these opportunities outside of school. So that was my journey into Harvard. While I was there, I did a lot of journalism in Latin America and Africa. And that led me to getting my master's degree at Oxford in African studies where I continued to do a lot of journalism in the African continent, spending time in places like Mozambique or Cape Verde or Namibia or South Africa. And I really loved learning people's stories in these different countries and finding threads of connection and presence um, and common ground with people. Mm. And Through that, I've always said my life mission statement is to help people own and share their stories, which is what I was doing in a very traditional sense as an international journalist. And after my visa ran out at Oxford, I got another entrepreneur visa to stay in London for a year. And I took a very non-traditional path that year. I had, after Harvard, gotten my yoga teacher training at a permaculture center in Costa Rica, Puntamona for those of you who may know uh, it's run by one of the founders of Envision festival. And, um, I spent the year after Oxford teaching yoga in London and performing around Europe with so far sounds with my guitar. And so, yeah. (laughs) I never knew that. Yeah. So it's, I call it my Renaissance year. And then my very, um, you know, stoic mother called it my gap in my LinkedIn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I prefer the Renaissance here. You truly are a Renaissance woman. Thank you. Yeah. So that was,
1: that was my initial exploration of, I guess, taking the road less traveled because while I had these degrees and a lot of my friends went into consulting or tech companies or finance. And then after Oxford, a lot of my friends went back to work on the African continent there was something in me that felt like I needed to explore these creative inclinations that I had. So it was my first step in kind of honoring, I guess, my road less traveled. And then after that, I went to, came to Los Angeles and when I, this is a little long winded tangent, but when I was in Africa, I, and in Liberia specifically, um, on in West Africa, I was sitting with palm wine farmers and they would sit and drink palm wine, which comes from the sap of palm trees. It's kind of like moonshine Mm. Um, and it tastes coconutty. And they would sit and converse about the day and connect. And it was really a time for connection and presence. When I moved to LA, I had the idea of what if there was an intentional alcohol brand that wasn't about dulling emotion, but rather deepening connection in a more ceremonial way. And this was right before the wave of healthier for you alcohols. Um, And I knew nothing about founding a company or being a beverage founder, let alone an alcohol founder. And I was like, what if I fermented kombucha to the point of it being alcoholic? Because no one was doing it at the time. So I spent the next four years building this kombucha brand, uh, an alcoholic kombucha brand, where we made 6% alcohol, but it tasted like a light champagne. And I was learning how to raise money, how to build an advisory board. I was also managing things like aluminum can supply and like where we're getting like mass honey from. So that was a four year business crash course in psychological warfare, being a founder. But it all came from this idea of wanting to create a brand that helped foster connection and meaning. Mm. And yeah, so after that, I realized that my passion was actually helping people foster that connection, meaning that I didn't need to manage operations of a beverage company to do that. I could do that as a coach and having an experienced company. So I kind of let go of, I guess, my identity that I had built around being a founder or, you know, the should of like, I should finish what I started with this company and took my own advice that I would now give a coaching client and release that and kind of stepped into what is now my full purpose of being a leadership coach, serving people one-on-one in groups and through my experience company without the alcohol. And the biggest irony of it all
0: is that now I don't even drink. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. I learned so much about you that I didn't know. And I love that quote that Retro, what did you say? Hindsight vision, retrospective vision. My oh, yeah. retrospective vision is always 2020. Yeah, because it's so true. I mean, my life motto is so similar to that, but I always say life can only be understood backwards. And your journey is such an example of maybe on paper, as you're going through these things, you're like, what is. 500 hours of yoga teacher training have anything to do with the entrepreneurship work that I did and, you know, my experience in in Africa with the coconut beverage. You know, it's like all of these pieces were stepping stones that eventually unfolded into the next iteration, the next project, the next evolution. And I'm sure that now working with individuals, you pull from all of these different aspects of your background to work with people. Totally. Yeah. And
1: I think the common thread between all of them is that aspect of helping people own their story, helping people share their story. And part of what I mean when I say owning your story is taking things that felt like a detour or roadblock and turning them into a stepping stone and saying, "How is this actually happening for me? How is this a unique thing that I can now share or help others with, or that's empowered me in some way?" And so, in doing that for myself and my very winding journey, I've been able to help other people do the same. And with yoga and meditation and breath work, they're absolutely tools that I use in my coaching still. With my experience as a founder, I now coach a lot of founders and can empathize with them in the lonely journey that can be founding a company and how you really have to know yourself and know your why to be able to push through a lot that is required of you as a founder. Mm. So it's all come full circle, albeit in a very winding way, which also is a lesson in deep surrender and self-trust of taking the next step, even when the finish line isn't certain.
0: Mm, I love that so much. And back to what we touched on in the beginning, that's alchemy alchemizing mm. every detour every quote unquote failure and allowing it to be this is happening for me not to me for my ultimate evolution good whatever you want to call it and that's really beautiful i love how you said finish line cuz that that's like a piggyback off of a point that i want to that i want to talk about um in a little bit, but I want to ask you, at any point, did you feel imposter syndrome going through all of these different roles, these different quote unquote career paths, journeys, and doing things that you'd never done before? Like you said, you knew nothing about the alcoholic beverage industry. You knew nothing about operations, starting a CPG brand. Did you at any point feel imposter syndrome? And if you did, how did you navigate that? It's a great question. So to answer
1: to answer it every step of the way, um, but what I realized about imposter syndrome is that we only feel it in times that we're stretching ourselves, because when we feel comfortable in something, we don't feel like an imposter. So I mm-hmm. always remind myself and remind my clients that when we feel imposter syndrome, to actually celebrate it because it means we're stepping outside of our comfort zone, and. I did feel it, uh, especially when I was a beverage founder, having never done it before needing to Google things like, what is a convertible note? Or like how much equity do you, you know, give advisors and things like this. And, um, I realized that you're never ready. The only way to become an expert is to just do it, to walk Mm -hmm. the fire and that we never get over the imposter syndrome if we never take action. So. That was my learning of it. And then I experienced it again when I um, launched my coaching practice, because part of me ironically thought, what will all of my friends from college think who are now, you know, really far along in their like tech careers, or a lot of them get Forbes 30 under 30, you know, and ironically, now I help work with people on defining their own metrics of success, not the external metrics of success. but at the time, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put my coaching out there, announce it, and let's see what happens. And the, the biggest paradox, of course, is that my first clients were some of those very Harvard classmates who I had looked up to who said, Meredith, we've seen your renaissance here. And you, I've always admired your creativity. And I want more of that freedom internally for myself. And here are these people who I had admired who had the accolades that seemed important to us in college and beyond and still craved that deeper inner freedom. And so that was just a a great reminder to me that we're all here walking each other home in different ways. And while I might admire or look up to them or learn something from them in another way, that I still have valuable things to offer them in this other area. So that was one on a personal note. And then how I break it down now for my clients and um, others who want to alchemize their imposter syndrome is first by acknowledging what the imposter syndrome is saying to you. So often we just can quiet that negative voice in our head if we let it speak or we give love to our shadow side, so to speak. So I have them write out everything that the imposter syndrome is telling them. And then the second step is reminding ourselves of the times we've done it before, where we Mm -hmm. were a beginner and we made it work, where we stepped into the unknown and it ended up being the best decision ever. Reminding our subconscious that we've done it before, we can do it again. And then finally, the third and last step to that is if we don't do it, what are we robbing ourselves of? What are we mm-hmm. robbing the world of? Mm-hmm. If we don't do the thing, what is the cost to ourselves, to the world, to our service? Um, and really putting that in perspective makes makes it even more important that in fact we do act, that in fact we do take that next step. And by taking that next step, imposter syndrome then loses its grip over us because then we're getting more and more skill, more and more toward. Whatever version of expert
0: we have in our mind. Mm, wow. I mean, that is so powerful to begin to reframe those, without lack of better term, limiting beliefs of that story that imposter syndrome is telling us, which we all face. you know, I think it's easy to see the people that are doing the things that we want to do, and the world of social media is such a highlight reel, but what we don't realize is that everybody's human. And we all have, to some degree, that sense of imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, a sense of limiting beliefs that can sometimes hold us back, but that reframe of like, when have I done this before? And then I think the cherry on top, which might be my favorite, is what am I robbing not only myself, but also the collective of by believing this limiting belief, by believing this imposter syndrome, and not doing the thing that's in my heart to do? Totally. Yeah, I think putting it in,
1: um, in perspective of what we won't be doing or what will happen five years down the line if we never made that big swing really mm. helps you
0: feel the weight of the inaction. Totally. Totally. I love that. And I think... To piggyback off of that, I know that you also work with people in cultivating self-trust, and it's so clear that you've had to cultivate your own sense of self-trust through all of these different iterations and and chapters in your journey. And how do you feel that you have been able to cultivate self-trust along the way in the moments of, yes, that imposter syndrome comes up, that limiting belief comes up, and yet you still take that leap? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great question and it's a it's a journey. It's like going to the gym or or running a marathon where you don't start off by signing up for a marathon and running twenty-six miles the next day. You start off by running one mile, then you build your confidence, you run two miles the next week, then three, and I like to say that self-trust is like a muscle. And so it starts off in your day to day of doing the things every day that you say you're going to do or that, you know, are good for you. Like people who are like, oh, I always want to meditate, but I never make time. Every time you say that and you don't do it, it creates a little fracture of your self-trust because your intuition is trying to speak to you, telling you that it needs something and then you're not honoring it. It's like a relationship uh, where it's communicated in one way and not a two way street. And so. Whatever I'm thinking about building my self-trust back in certain areas, it's like s- stupid, silly things like taking my vitamins every day um, or flossing every day because I said I wanted to start flossing again. And through these little actions, even though they seem so small of when my intuition speaks, I listen, then it's building the larger self-trust of, okay, I said I want to take guitar lessons again. On Friday, I'm going to like sign up for a guitar lesson next week. And just taking affirmative, like decisive, quick action on things. And um, that not only builds self trust, but it brings more energy back to us to reinvest what we actually want to invest in because we lose so much energy in the indecision mm. or in saying we're going to do something and not doing it and then beating ourselves up or feeling triggered when we see someone else do it, but we haven't taken action. Oh, yeah. And, So that's really what I feel like self-trust comes down to. And also what I like to explain to people, what coaching is, it's like cultivating the awareness that we oftentimes get in therapy or in self-reflection, but then pairing it with action, because Mm -hmm. then that allows us to have a new data point, which gives our subconscious like a new data point, which then forms a new belief because we've experienced new
0: outcomes. Wow. It's so powerful what you said that every time we say we're going to do something and then we don't do it, it creates these fractures in our self-trust and that idea of start small, right? If you want to run a marathon, you don't start running 26 miles. You start maybe going for a walk for a mile and then two and then starting to jog. And yeah, I think it's like When people consider this end goal, this outcome, it can feel so overwhelming. But what we forget is that that outcome doesn't happen overnight. It it happens by these small actions that we take and it's progress. And before you know it, you're there. Totally. Yeah. It's like the idea
1: of um, there was this book I read once called The Slight Edge, but it's this idea of tiny shifts over time leading to big changes. And ultimately, the tiny shifts are the things that are sustainable. They're the things that we can do consistently. Mm -hmm. And they're the things that then set us up for success because we've done them consistently versus trying to make a drastic change that's unsustainable. And then we're like, I'm a failure. Change is impossible. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. So it's building also self-trust equals like self-confidence in terms of taking off just ever so slightly more than you thought you could chew and letting that expand over time.
0: There truly is nothing like community and feeling supported by like-minded individuals who share the same mission and are also on their journey to evolution. And if you're craving this, I invite you to join me in the Alchemized Life membership This is a virtual community and a membership of beautiful people from all across the world and we come together every month for community healing circles, workshops around lunar cycles and cacao circles. And these are all live, all recorded, and you have access to them, whether you want to hop on live or you want to watch the recordings of them. And if you feel called to join the membership, I would love to invite you to try your first month for just a dollar using the code Practical Alchemy at checkout. And I hope to see you in the portal soon. Back to the show. For time. Mm, I love that. It's and something that I think is also. Relevant as a subcategory of what we're talking about is when you said also when we see the people that are doing the things that we said we were going to do but we didn't and then we feel triggered and
1: Mm -hmm. allowing
0: that to be inspiration rather than perpetuating our own negative self-talk or judgment reaction and just allowing those to be expanders and just mm-hmm. to inspire us to take actions and the things that we know we want to do. And the only thing stopping us and holding us back really is ourselves. Totally.
1: Yeah. I love that you use the word expanders because I first heard about that through Lacey Phillips and To Be Magnetic. And that was like a, a huge a huge thing that helped me turn comparison into creativity and into inspiration of now when i do see people doing something i ask myself why are, why am i triggered by this is there something that they're doing that i've said i wanted to do and how mm-hmm. are they showing me that it's possible for myself and then also how can no one do what i want to do the way i can do it yeah. and it's just a reminder that they're expander they're doing it in their own way But also I have my own unique voice to bring to the table and they're simply nudging me along or a catalyst to take
0: action on my stuff as well. A hundred percent. I mean, I think for me, the reframe of comparison and jealousy was probably the biggest game changer in, first of all, my mental health. And Mm -hmm. second, the way in which I grew and evolved and allowing those to be markers of there is something here that my soul wants that my heart wants and how do i allow this emotion to be information instead of something that sweeps me off of my feet and leaves me feeling lesser than or down about myself etc okay 25 time marathoner meredith yeah. When did you even decide you wanted to run a marathon, and then how did you end up running twenty five Yes, so yeah, as per the marathon analogy, obviously <laughs> one that's
1: close to home um, I have loved running since elementary school, but when I was growing up, my mom has a best friend who I call my aunt karen um and She would always take me with her to her Saturday training runs. She ran for this organization called Team in Training, which basically empowers people. They have local chapters to run or walk a marathon or endurance event as they raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Mm. And you'll have a sponsored patient that you run for. So I would always go with her on Saturdays to her training runs with her group and I would hand out oranges to the runners or run with them and when I turned 16 which was the legal age you were allowed to participate with human training I did my first marathon with them in San Francisco the San Francisco Nike Women's Marathon which in hindsight it was very ambitious of me to do <laughs> one of the hilliest marathons in America as my first
0: yeah, San um, Francisco is anything but flat
1: I know. So it was a double whammy, but it was, it was quite the experience. And after that I was hooked. I did, I convinced like 10 other high school friends to do the Alaska marathon with me in Anchorage. After that I did San Diego. And I actually wrote my college admission essay about how marathons are undoubtedly an individual achievement, but something that we get through together like it's mm-hmm. the other runners, it's the encouragement along the way, it's the high five, it's the spectators and that we all carry each other across our own respective finish lines. And yeah, since then it's, it's always been a way of connecting deeper with friends for me, like in college when, um, hurricane Harvey or the one that Hurricane Sandy, the one that hit New York mm. canceled the New York city marathon, a few friends and I organized a marathon around the Charles river. Um, and even some professors ran it with us. We raised money for Red Cross relief efforts. When I was at Oxford, I did the London Marathon with my friend Kieran Gandhi. And she became a kind of a spokesperson for like women, what women go through with menstrual cycles when it, it was um, like, I guess, made famous, her like she was on her period while she was running the London marathon and those photos went viral. And so she talked a lot about what it is to run a marathon and wow. be a woman and, and be going through something like that. And you're not going to stop running the race because you're on your period or, or run into an Adidas store and get another pair of leggings. So anyways, I've always kind of had these like very pivotal marathon moments with friends, whether it's at Harvard or with her. And then, um, yeah, with my roommates. I've run marathons here in LA. I've run marathons with friends that I've met through ex-boyfriends. So it's just been for me never about time, but always about um, a way to connect deeper with those I'm running with or like getting to know a city and the people of the city on a deeper level.
0: That is so beautiful, Meredith. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Where would you say has been your favorite race? That's such a good question. I mean, they're so
1: different. Um, Recently, or a few years ago, I did Big Sur, which was cool because they oh. they shut down the PCH. They had a grand piano by the Bix- Brixby Bridge. Um, Doing the Banff Marathon was really pretty. And Vancouver was probably one of my favorite city marathons because it's just so stunning there. And you end around Stanley Park if you've ever been there, which is like the beach and the forest and the city skyline. So those have been some of my favorites, but they've all been beautiful. Like I've loved Rio and Dublin and Berlin was really fun, especially like the crowd really makes the, wow. the
0: energy. The too. You're making me want to run a marathon just to go see those places. <laughs> Yes. It's a great excuse. Once I
1: once I registered, I, you know what, I actually have used it as like an opportunity to just explore. Like once I did that Iceland marathon with my friend Sam, and then we rented a car and circumvented Iceland. Oh. And so it's a great way to just commit to seeing a place that you want to see, especially if you like choose some of these off the beaten trail places.
0: Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I would say probably BAM for Big Sur, I would imagine, would be my favorites out of the ones you listed. But would you say that, because with your background, you know, with your yoga teaching background, your breath work, meditation teaching background, marathon runner teaching background, would you say that mind body wellness plays a big role? in achieving peak performance for you. Absolutely.
1: I think that what I've realized is you know how we do one thing is how we do everything. And that's say that something. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the funniest things when I was doing my yoga teacher training, like it would feel always like a a microscope moment that applied to the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And my yoga instructor would be like, Meredith, you don't want to just like hurry to these advanced poses, like the foundational ones and slowing down are actually like the hardest ones to master. And once you master those, you have this solid foundation. And, you know, and it was at a time where I was just kind of rushing through things, trying to like achieve or get done in my earlier twenties. And it's her piece of advice is something that's stuck with me over the last decade of slowing down and focusing on the foundation first. And all of that's to say is we can't, like everything in our life is interconnected. And if one area is balanced or unbalanced, another area is unbalanced because there's either excess or famine in another area. And so combining meditation breath work, movement with also structure, right? It's like the feminine, the masculine, like Mm -hmm. having space for the flow, the creativity, the presence, and then having a little bit of structure around everything has been so grounding for me in achieving my goals while also feeling present in my current life, exactly where I am as I work toward those goals. And that's something that I feel is really unlocked a lot for my clients because a lot of my clients have already achieved, let's say like, yeah, more traditional success, but haven't made time to slow down or sit with themselves or be present. And in doing, focusing on the being first, then it makes their doing way more fulfilling, Mm. uh, makes the journey way more enriched. And then it makes the end result actually something you can Really sit with and receive versus thinking about what what do you on to the next. I don't know if that answered your question. But yeah,
0: a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, no, I I think you you hit the nail on the head, and I couldn't agree more. And I think it goes back to also, you know, you have your external factors, your external metrics of success that we have been handed by society that. To some, yeah, those are also their internal metrics of success, and to others, it's not. And so it's like people can go through their whole lives achieving these milestones of success and saying, okay, I got the X, Y, and Z, I achieved this, and, and now I should be happy why am i not happy why am i not fulfilled and then it's just really looking at life from a holistic perspective of like you said if if maybe the external financial piece like is is thriving but then your soul your heart your physical body are are being starved of connection of love of attention then all of this isn't going to matter if those pieces aren't fulfilled. And so I love how you tied it back to, you know, having those moments of space of slowing down, of really just honestly being aware of your internal conversation and inner reflection of what's coming up for you and and sitting with that. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because, um,
1: you know i feel like we're always on the upward spiral of peeling back layers or deepening layers of things we've always or already learned so to speak and i think a big one for me even just in this new year has been the the idea the concept of slowing down and mm-hmm. i went on a self solo sabbatical in big sur a few weeks ago and uh i stayed at a monastery where we observed silence for a few days and they had little hermitages alongside where the monks lived. And in that, those days of silence, the thing that kept coming to me were, um, was all questions are answered in the present moment. Mm. And even for a coach and a mindfulness teacher who teaches that to others, you know, when I was thinking about these other questions or little anxieties in my life, It sounded so simple, but it just like really hit me those days at the monastery of like when I actually just slow down and I'm truly with myself and my intuition every day and I've given myself time to unwind into that. I actually know the answer. I actually know the next step versus looking, trying Mm -hmm. to look toward it
0: or look outside of myself for it. Wow, how beautiful. Where did you where did you find this program? or was it something that you kind of just like self-guided? I found it. Well, my friend and former roommate
1: Eileen uh, recommended this uh, monastery to me. It's called the New Kamaldi Monastery. Okay. And it's right off the Pacific Coast Highway. So I stayed there for a few nights. I stayed in a glamping tent in the Ventana campgrounds for a night. And then I went to Esalen for a few nights. If you've heard of Esalen, it's been on my bucket list for years. So finally on my sabbatical, I'm like, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going, I'm doing it. And it was
0: insane. Wow. Good for you. Did you do any workshops or you just went and did like the, the soaking tubs and. Yeah, I did. I did the self-guided study.
1: Um. I thought about doing workshops and ironically, while I was there, the workshop going on was called compassionate leadership, Mm -hmm. but my whole intention of the trip was to listen to my own voice for this next chapter. So my student instinct was like, sign up for the workshop, get more downloads from a teacher. (laughs) And, and then the, thing to really sit with was actually listen to your own voice so I actually didn't do the workshop I did the self-guided study and I, I saw and conversed with people from the workshop in the in the soaking tubs so I felt like I got some of it through osmosis but it was really a practice of restraint for me in terms of just actually creating space to listen to myself and not necessarily um taking the next thing
0: that that I felt like I wanted to learn Mm, I feel like that message was just for me (laughs) because I find myself so often just learning and taking in and wanting to seek new teachers, new courses, new workshops when really so many answers are already within us, especially after you've done so much training and learning that it really takes time to let things marinate and steep and integrate to begin to cultivate the fruit from all of the things that you've taken, that you've learned. Did you decide to go on that sabbatical as this next chapter? And congratulations. I know that you just mentioned you just got married. Was that a part of it or what inspired this sabbatical? So a few things inspired it. Um...
1: I felt like I hadn't slowed down since the fall. Uh I actually had gone through an abortion in December and uh still launched my next coaching program through that because I um had signed up to be on a reality TV show just as a bucket list item in January and I got there and it's very like uh not what I expected, which I guess is to be expected for reality TV. It was like a competition type show um but not not as reality as uh, you would think. And I got sent home sooner than <laughs> sooner than expected. <laughs> this is a very honest answer. I love this um, and, and so and and the experience just wasn't what I expected, but what it did force me to do and the silver lining in it, was that I hadn't really given myself time and space to just be after the abortion which was mm. obviously a huge emotional and hormonal you know world turn um mm. and um and it's so hard as an entrepreneur to completely shut off for a month and that's what I told all my clients I was doing for this reality show opportunity as I said I'll be unreachable for a month to just give this thing a go and to have this life experience and and I got sent home like three days into the experience, I was like, okay, well, I'm using this as a sign that I was meant to slow down and that I'm going to use this time to just be, to not ideate on my next business thing, to not go right back into coaching, but to just allow myself to completely recenter and recharge. Mm-hmm. And so I took that time alone, um, which was also great because Following that, I got engaged and married to my partner, Spencer. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really nice to just have this kind of like solo bachelorette time with myself of reconnecting to myself and re-asking myself, what do you need? How can I rebalance you? Like, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere and kind Mm -hmm. of reconnect to that inner voice.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I just want to take a moment to honor you for being so vulnerable and for sharing something that a lot of women go through and maybe they don't give themselves the time to really process, to really sit with it. And and I just want to honor you for sharing that and for being so vulnerable with us. And I love that idea of like a mini solo bachelorette and before kind of going through these big changes and shifts, really giving yourself the time to be your own best friend, be your own partner, because it's true. Like we go through life being perhaps out of balance in certain areas and not realizing the things that we need when in reality, like we are the only person that can give us what we need. And so saying that to yourself, I'm here for you and I'm not going anywhere and really seeing what answers percolate from that. And I don't know, were you surprised by some of the things that came up that you didn't realize that you needed? I think the biggest thing of it all, and I guess to circle back
1: to our, our point right before the story of, um, being our own teacher and listening to our own voice was more so a remembering um, that I have all the answers inside of me kind of coming back to that present moment thing. And what I did actually on the trip, cause I did it as a road trip. I, instead of listening to new books or new authors, I re listened to my favorite books that had initially changed my life years ago, mm-hmm. like four agreements
0: or a return to love. Oh, and yes. It's like one of my all I mean, favorites. both of those. I got chills, as you said, both those titles.
1: Yeah. And and they were both books that I've recommended to so many people. And I was like, rather than digest new information, what if this is just a deepening and a returning to the wisdom that, that has impacted or changed my life and the wisdom that I already know is inside of me? So I view this year, especially in that trip, as a stripping away rather than kind of adding to or new, new wisdoms, um, mm. but rather like, yeah, kind of like Marianne would say, a return to love, a return to me and who I'm always, I was always and am meant to be and kind of simplifying that and getting back to that version of myself.
0: That is so beautiful. And I'm so excited for you to now enter this new chapter with this, more authentic stripped down raw version of yourself that is more serving than the one that perhaps would have just laid on the layers of new information new teachings and i think that's really where where the magic is is integrating what's already there and it's also so beautiful that the timing of us actually recording is now because mm-hmm. i can imagine that you probably feel like a new version of yourself after having gone through everything that you've been through in the past three months.
1: Yes, it's crazy. I kind of feel like it's uh, it's been an initiation and a walking the fire, and and just a reminder that self development never ends. It's all about getting comfortable in the uncertainty and how much compassion we can have with ourselves in the Mm -hmm. uncertainty and how much curiosity we can have when triggers arise. And that's what I really was reminded of on an embodied level through all of this of um, how I can continue to alchemize all of these things in my life and how did all of those things while, you know, at the time might've felt hard or disappointing, how are they all happening for me? And that continual um, observance of them, and allowance of them, and acceptance of them, and then reframe or alchemization of them, mm-hmm. and it's definitely given me a lot more excitement in what I'm ready to share and build with other people. It's given me a lot more clarity of what old stories about myself or my self-limiting beliefs I'm ready to shed, and it's given me a lot more, I think, peace in my own day to day, um, and in those quiet moments in between. So yeah, it's, it's been a cool kind of turning of the page, all of that coming with
0: my marriage with Spencer. So it's been, uh, yeah, quite a whirlwind few months. Wow. Well, congratulations on your whirlwind of last few months.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. It's, good to be, it's good to be on the other side of it, though. The whole process was a beautiful one, too, undoubtedly.
0: Totally. Absolutely. Well, I know that people are going to be so excited to connect with you. So how can people find you? So people can find me at TheMerenithBaker.com
1: or Baker on Instagram or TikTok if they want to reach out with any questions or inquire about individual or group coaching. Um, and I always love to hear what resonated with people um on on podcasts or otherwise.
0: so yeah, yeah, well, thank you so much again for for your energy, for your voice, for your time, and I can't wait to just continue to watch you thrive and bloom and blossom as you have been since I've met you. Oh, thanks, Natalie.
1: It was such an honor to be on. I loved chatting with you, and it's as well been. So cool to watch you build this podcast and your beautiful, like, servings and offerings to the world. So I'm excited to continue the future collaborations. This was so magical.
0: Yes, more to come. <laughs>